I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Justin Hamilton and welcome to Season 3 of Big Squid. blog at my site, justinhamilton.com.au. I've been overflowing with ideas and pieces that I've wanted to create. So rather than launch a bunch of new podcasts, I've decided to consolidate all of it right here at the podcast that already existed. It really was getting to a point where I had all of these thoughts and all of this work that I wanted to do. And funnily enough, I was discussing it with Alexi Toliopoulos, who in the middle of me explaining all of these ideas, he started just having his eyes roll in the back of his head. And he was like, dude, like, I'm paying attention and I can barely keep up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have actually spent quite a bit of time by myself. And so, yeah, why don't I just streamline everything into the podcast that I already have? So that means there will be a slight change in how I approach the work here but it will still adhere to the deep dive nerdery that you've become accustomed to. So if this is your first time uh, listening to the podcast and you're wondering what I'm talking about, uh, in the first season of Big Squid, my friends and I recorded uh, 21 episodes that recapped the Watchmen HBO series and the original graphic novel. And then season two, I flew solo. That was like right in the heart of pandemic isolation. And I broke down all seven songs on the final David Bowie album, Black Star. And it was looking at each song and wondering uh, what the lyrics meant and finding uh, echoes in other previous Bowie songs and what was the inspiration for it. And then while I was doing that, I was interweaving my personal fandom that began in 1983 all the way up to his death in 2016. Uh, FYI, much more joyful podcast than you might expect 
from the fact that it ends with him no longer being alive. But it was a celebration, and that's what this podcast has always been. It's been about celebrating uh, different types of art and different types of entertainment. So what we're going to do is, with this new season, which is going to be ongoing, maybe it will go probably at least till the end of the year, Uh, Depending on what happens, I don't know if I'll be able to head back to Adelaide and see family or not, but uh, definitely for the rest of 2020, uh, we'll be coming to you each week with uh, rotating guests and and different segment ideas, etc. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, We'll be also covering a wide range of topics. you know, Siobhan Coombs from the first season of Big Squid is going to be returning on a semi-regular break, uh, basis to break down what's happening in the comic book industry and give us some hot tips on what's being released. Uh, ben Elwood and I are re-watching and reviewing every Christopher Nolan movie in the lead-up to Tenet being released in August, maybe being released in August. Who really knows? Uh, but we're doing all of that. Uh, We'll be uh, recording some short stories for you to hear on this podcast. If you've ever been to my site before, you might have noticed that I like to write these short stories that can be read while on public transport or while you have a few spare minutes to kind of kill. So uh, if you like those kinds of stories, I'll be uh, throwing some of those in here at this one. Uh, Today's episode, I'm going to review the first two seasons of the HBO series My Brilliant Friend. Then Alexi Toliopoulos and I have a discussion about the movie Waves that was just released at the cinema. Um, You know, I know uh, some of you might be in Victoria and in in deep lockdown. You might be anywhere in the world in deep lockdown at the moment. And uh, here in Sydney, there's just been slow movements to open the cinemas. These have been preview sessions, so they've been able to keep the numbers down and... uh, To be honest, it's kind of like a perfect cinema experience. You're not allowed to sit next to anyone. No one's allowed to sit in front of you. No one's allowed to sit behind you. And I know the pandemic is awful, but the cinema experience has been fantastic. Try to find the silver lining in everything. So Alexi and I ended up uh, going to see the movie Waves. We ended up at the same uh, preview by accident. So we have a little discussion about that. And then finally, Cal Wilson is launching her own segment that we're going to play around with here. And then I think what the long-term aim is, she will then turn that into her own podcast. So more thoughts and guests to come in the next few weeks, but that's what you're going to be getting in uh, this podcast today. Uh, Before we get into any of it, though, uh, we have a Facebook group and a private chat site, so feel free to join both. Uh, The... The just the normal one on Facebook will just be having stuff posted now and again. Uh, the private chat site, it's full of people like you and me who like to hide in a place where we can just discuss ideas and things that we love freely without having to worry about the uglier side of the internet. So if, if you're one of the beautiful people, and I have a feeling that you are, come and join us there. Uh, over at my site, there's a blog entitled Dispatches from the Fury Road Infinity Sign. That is the heading of that blog. And that has a link that will get you 60 days of free documentaries at DocPlay. I wrote a little piece for them shining a light on five of their docos that I really loved. Uh, things like um, I Am Not Your Negro, uh, In the Shadow of the Moon, 
Strange Birds in Paradise, like some really interesting docos. And I wrote this little piece for them. And as part of it, you can uh, click on this link and that will give you 60 days of uh, free access to their huge library. So if docos are your thing, please feel free to go over and check that out. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a nice rating on whichever platform you use. I'll be using this time here to also launch a couple of other projects uh, further down the track. So it'd be great to bring in some uh, new ears to have a listen. Uh, I feel like there's definitely more of us out there. So let's go and find them and bring them into our haven. Uh, But let's get into our first segment for this edition of uh, Season 3 of the podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you about my brilliant friend. Mi convinsi che niente potesse fermare. Ogni sua disobbedienza aveva sbocchi che per la meraviglia toglievano il fiato. Do not adjust your ears. That was definitely people speaking in Italian. God, I just feel emotional even just listening to that little part of uh, the first trailer. Uh, My Brilliant Friend, uh, the first season of the series centres on the elderly author Elena Greco, who has just learned that her dearest and most important friend, Lila Cirello, has disappeared without a trace. And this is the instigating moment as... Elena reflects on her friendship with Leela, and as soon as she starts to reflect on it, we travel to Naples, Italy, in the 1950s, when these two young girls first meet. Uh, The young Elena is smart, top of her class, and a very good girl, yet when Leela arrives, she's uh, got this ferocious brilliance that emanates in a way that Elena cannot match, and what we witness is the beginning of a friendship that is competitive, uh, at times inspiring, At other times, it's devastating. Uh, They kind of mirror each other, but they also have aspects of their personalities that either girl can't match or even want to match. And both girls burn with a passion for life, but Elena suppresses her feelings, whereas Leela has no issue in showing everyone what she's feeling and thinking at all times. Now, uh, this TV series is based on the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. These first two seasons can be uh, viewed on the surface as a story about female friendship, but there's so much more going on with every scene playing out with double and triple meanings. Uh, The first season is essentially the first book from what I've read, and the second season uh, covers the second book. I had not read the books, though I had heard of them, so I came into this very, very fresh. The series tells us the story of the political movements of the day. It talks about the ingrained male violence that was considered normal, the different way men and women have an effect on female creativity. And and the part that really spoke to me was the importance of education as a means to progress through the different social classes and the gatekeepers you meet on the way who will intentionally and unintentionally block your way. Uh, Like most great works of art or entertainment, or both, I wanted uh, these girls to 
succeed. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're such real characters. You, you're sometimes frustrated by them or you're disappointed in their actions and you, you wonder why they, they did something which you know is not really beneficial towards them. But then you're brought right back to their side as you see them continuously strive to overcome what society desires them to be. I'm I'm trying to talk in very broad uh strokes because if you haven't read the book I think they they it's really uh such a better experience to go in not really knowing too much and uh I don't know too many people who have done both but the people who read the who have read the books have said that they're wonderful and uh, in fact I actually bought the first one today that's how much uh I loved uh, the series, and I'm like, well, I just I want to I want to spend more time in that world. Uh, all the acting is wonderful; everyone's really good. But the teenage girls who play the leads, uh, Margarita Mazeko, who plays Elena, and Gaia Garachi, who plays Leela, it's their first ever roles, and they bring depth and charm to their performances. It's so good and they're they're so charismatic. And you can see the childhood trauma that both girls endure begin to form the women that they will grow into. But you also see these moments where uh, the fire in their bellies light up and and they intellectually attempt to find ways out of their communities. Uh, This is a story that is full of successes. There are failures and it is up and down and it is compelling that's what it is it's just compelling and for a story set so far in the past the story feels as relevant today as we look at our own failings especially in you know the accepted male violence we have as a society avoided dealing with in any substantial manner you know it's such a such a failure of modern times and to see it uh, play out in these worlds and it's not just expressed towards women it's the 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 way it's expressed between the men as well it's uh it's a reminder of where we've come from and how much further we have to go uh Saverio Constance's uh, direction at times kind of gives a real dreamlike quality to the proceedings that you watch and Max Richter's music stirs emotional responses that perfectly complement the story we are watching. Uh, I've just finished the first two seasons, and there's only two seasons out so far. I loved every episode. And, you know, my only complaint, this is the, the smallest of criticisms that I have with this show, is that I could have done with another two episodes in each season. There's only eight episodes in the first and the second season. And it's like, well, I would have been happy to hang around for 10 or 11 episodes with, the, with these characters and with this, uh, with this whole cast and with these storylines and characters. But what a good complaint to have. It's so rare, isn't it? It's like normally you go, well, that would have been good if it was three episodes less. And this one, I, was, I just would have been up for more. But... Uh, if you're one of these people who doesn't like subtitles, then just pretend you're texting and watching at the same time without the hassle of having to type. There you go. You'll be fine. That'll that'll get you over any perceived humps. I can't uh, recommend this enough, uh, and hopefully it won't be too long before Elena and Leela return with their third season. Uh, I know I'll be ready to go when they return. If you have seen 
uh, my brilliant friend, please let us know about it on the Facebook page. Or if you've read the books, or if you've read the book and seen the series and want to discuss uh, the differences or the similarities, uh, please jump on the Facebook page and let us know all about it. But my brilliant friend, it has been fantastic and I think it's uh, really worth checking out if you're looking for just something that is substantial and entertaining and just absolutely compelling with uh, two of the best uh, characters I've seen in a long time. Okay, I'm going to play you my chat with Alexi Toliopoulos about the movie Waves in just a second. But just so you know, we began to record and I was looking through Skype at Alexi's bookcase and noticed a John Cazale documentary up there. And so we started chatting about that and I decided I would just keep it in this in case you're a Cazale fan or maybe you've never even heard of him and, and are a little bit curious. He's only ever starred in a handful of movies before he died and not only do uh, did I enjoy the chat with Alexi about Kazal, but I think it's re- a really uh, delightful insight into Alexi's movie fandom so if you feel like at the start it just kind of comes in I just I just got r- rid of a bit of the dross at the start for you so we could just keep the chat intact warts and all so here's Alexei Toliopoulos at first talking about John Cazale, and then we review the movie Waves. Ah, oh, so good. And I've hidden, I've got all his other movies hidden behind it. That's so cool. Oh, yes. And it was like 15 bucks. I thought it was going to be like some crap DVD, but it's like, right. look at that. It's beautiful. 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 And it's got- a life cut short, but every movie he made was brilliant, and he was amazing in it. Can I tell you this? The first film thing that I ever made was basically that movie when I was 15 years old in 2006 or 2005. I would have, I would have been like 14 or 15, and... Um, I we had to make like a film for class. It had to be like a documentary or mockumentary. And I was in one of those group scenarios where I was the only one doing the work and everyone else was slacking right. off. I was with like all these... Oh, hang on. Can, I think I may have lost your sound. Oh, can you hear me fine? Now I can, yeah. And I'd... Yep. I'd um, oh, we're recording. this. You can cut all this shit out. <laughs> but um, Oh, no, I'm kind of enjoying we, it as well. Um, we, so I, I was the only one like basically doing all the work. So I ended up just like on by myself with Windows Movie Maker making a documentary about John Cazale that I called Five Films, Five Masterpieces. And it was... Oh, great. I, like, I, like, screenshot, like, clips of all his movies and stuff. And just, like, it was just me narrating, going, like, John Cazale was one of the great actors. He made five films in his lifetime. And every single one of them was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And I was like, that is so nerdy that the first thing that I ever made was just honouring this one little New York character actor that died very young. Yeah, no, but it also, uh, you know, like I'm sure there would have been people coming in saying, you know, 
I'm a big film nerd, and I'm just going to put it out there. Martin Scorsese has made some brilliant movies, and you go, uh, okay. I'll like, tell you, in, in Sydney in 2005, <laughs> there I was the only one. There were no other people that knew who Martin Scorsese was. So, Are my, you serious? My teachers knew, but none of my no my my kids that I was studying with knew who the fuck any of the people I was talking about. So, who were they into? Like modern stuff, you know, modern stuff. And then like, you know, Indiana Jones is like the other thing. But, you know, we were young and like we uh, we had access to the internet and to the past. But I was the only one at that time. When we got like to year 11 and 12 and like me introducing people to things, it was it, more people knew about that stuff. But it wasn't until like we were 18 and allowed to like, you know, actually watch R18 movies where I was the only kid whose mum let them watch like Bad Lieutenant and stuff like that right. when I was like 14 <laughs> years old or 13. <laughs> Because she she also that, loved Harvey Keitel, so yeah, that was my mum as well. Like I, I was allowed to watch all of that stuff, but she'd sit there with me and you know explain to you why <laughs> Harvey Keitel's having a nervous breakdown <laughs> in the Battle of Tenet. <laughs> By the way, what's your what's your favourite? Can you can you pick a favourite John Cazale? performance yes favorite John Cazale performance I think he's incredible in every single movie that he made but it's you can't really go past um Fredo Corleone in Godfather part two because yes. I think it captures everything that he's capable of doing of like how how much sadness he's able to bring to this character and like this idea of pride and how he's trying to like make it on his own and stuff but he is such he's so good at playing like this very sympathetic loser who has like selfish intentions but is also selfless at points and generous and sweet i think that i mean i'm a huge john cazale fan obviously i mean i fucking made a movie about him when i was like (laughs) a teenager so like it's hard to overstate how much i love him as an actor but uh that i mean you can't go past godfather part two can you oh mate you get everything from it was meant to be me, Mikey, to yeah. the moment where he's yeah. big noting himself and he gives himself away to Michael yeah. and then the fear and then the the coming back and trying to get in the good graces. And yeah. It's, it's all brilliant. And it's great. It's one of those things where it's like he, to me, is the maybe the best performance in that movie, apart from Al Pacino, because that's the best performance anyone's ever given a film, is him and Godfather Part Two, And then Robert De Niro as the father, Vito Corleone, in the flashbacks. And he didn't get an Oscar nomination because every, it basically was an entire category for best supporting actor of people from Godfather Part Two was also Lee Strasberg as uh, Hyman Roth. And then what's his name? The actor that played Frank Pentangeli. Um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but those, they were all nominated for best supporting actor and he was locked out. So De Niro was locked out. No, De Niro won. De Niro won. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, you mean John Cazale? John Cazale was locked out of that category. And I think it's one of, it's one of my favorite performances, him as Fredo in part two. It's uh, who did you know John Cazale? You know, it's as good as De Niro. It's as good mm-hmm. as everyone. Yes, in, and it's as good as Pacino. And I reckon you're right. I think it is the it is masterclass Pacino. Absolutely. And, uh, who who did he lose to in uh, the Best Actor? Uh, he lost you know? to uh, off the top of my head. I think it was was it Harold and Maud. Seventy, it's seventy four is the year, so it might have been like Jack Lemon or someone like that. I yeah. can't remember. Nineteen seventy four was the year. 
but because um, I know that he lost for Dog Day Afternoon, he lost to um, uh, Jack, Nicholson Jack Nicholson for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest because that's always one of those ones. I'm like, oh, that's two of my favorite performances up against each other. But uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it would have been. Seventy four. What are the um, other big uh, pictures? Jack Lemon. It yeah, was Jack I just Lemon. Looked it up. It, I was right. Yep. Uh, t- yep. T- the, what's it called? The it's a tiger something. Tiger saves a necktie. Save, sa- save the tiger. Save the tiger. And he beat out Marlon Brando in Last Tango. Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson would be Pacino. Chinatown, and Al Pacino in uh, Godfather Part Two. Yeah, man, that is you know. Mm. That's some scorching performances. Yeah, I mean, that's the five of the all-time greats right there. Like, actually, yeah. the five all-time great yeah. actors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, John Cazale, um also tragically funny in Dog Day yeah. Afternoon. Super funny. But you remember when they... What, 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 I forget the state, but it's like, what, yeah, it's we what, can go to any country you want. Yeah, and... what country do you want to go to? And he says, Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to go and to Wyoming. <laughs> And there's just a um, like a really underrated funny movie mm-hmm. in that like the comedic pause yeah. from Pacino when he gets that is oh, it's all so it's tragic it's really funny yeah there's actually this great documentary out right now on Netflix called Disclosure um, which is mm. about uh, trans representation in film and TV media and they right. talk about um, they talk about Dog Day Afternoon as a really mixed example where it was positive because it was sensitive yet in reality the character that um chris sarandon plays uh is um was very very feminine uh trans person and they originally were casting like a trans person in the role but then they felt that it was too feminine the character the actor was too feminine to play that role. So then they went with Chris Sarandon, who was a more masculine person doing that thing, which they criticize a lot in that documentary of like that being the performance that they able to transform themselves into a, tra- a male, into a trans person or a cis male. Right. Sorry. Right. Right. So it's, but it's also, you know, early 1970s yeah. as well so it's it's a, so it was incredibly progressive for exactly. the time exactly it's a very interesting film disclosure especially if you're like seeking out like a further further understanding of these of this as a, uh, as something that happens in film that uh, to yeah. talk about that as an example that's like mixed where it's good it's sensitive yet it's also like an early perpetrator of like what has become like this very common thing Yes. Well, you, you know, so it's funny that you bring that up because my, like, because mum was a massive Pacino fan mm. and would go to the cinema all the time. I remember the first time that I watched Dog Day Afternoon, and I think that may have been the first time that I'd even really yeah. uh, come across a, a trans character. Yeah. And I remember mum, mum knows how to hold a grudge. Yeah. And I remember her talking to me about how angry she was in the cinema mm. when it turned out that the character was trans and people laughed. Wow. So that's also... So I think one of the things... And I completely understand the criticism mm. of it, but I also think a lot of the time when we're bringing up these criticisms, what we're also forgetting is that was a roll of the dice yeah. for that kind of 
movie and it is taking into account the lack of education that the general Absolutely. public had at the time. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I've I've noticed a lot in stuff I've been listening because I listen to uh, you must remember this mm. podcast, and there's a there's a real funny um, seems to be a reevaluation of Sidney Poitier's career, as you know, yeah, sure he was an African American male, mm. but he was always you know in service of the white man. Yeah. Or, you know, at the end of in the heat of the night, you know, the white racist sheriff likes him and stuff like that, but it's. But it's kind of like, yes, I can see that in today's standards, but back yeah. then he was he was breaking ground. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, because there would have been people in the audience going, "Oh well, you know, I don't know why he's in this movie." And then at the end of it, going, "Oh, he was really good." And I'm yeah. not I'm not justifying those people's reactions, but that's that was the lack of education yeah. back then, and so it was progressive. Exactly. It's it's so hard, man. But it's I think hard, the, I would yeah. say that this documentary is like well worth watching to like kind of like yeah. to understand like a greater the impact of those things. And it's like, you know, I, yeah. I consider myself fairly, um, fairly well versed when it comes to like the way in the screen and film and television represents people. But there was still enough like eye opening things where I was like, oh, that was worth me watching as well. You know, you can always do better. Yeah, exactly. Even when, like, you might be on top of it, but you can you can improve. Yeah, exactly. Should we? Um, how are we going to do this yes. podcast today? How are we going to talk about waves? Well, I have to be honest. I'm going to keep all of this because this was just great. Oh, really? Oh, far out. Okay. Everyone's okay? going to know about my John Cazal, <laughs> my John Cazal origin story. Mate, yeah, go this for is, it. This. That was... I just loved every bit of that, so I'm keeping even this. Yeah, far out. Keep this bit in too. But um, what I want to do is, uh, you know, I, I, because I know you're so busy mm. as well, but I love talking movies with you, Same. as anyone could tell by our warm-up chat. Yeah, that was just us talking. <laughs> that was just us off the cuff talking about movies. <laughs> you know. Um, so I'd like to have you, uh, you know your schedule uh, permitting on a semi-regular basis and, uh, you know, keeping them... <laughs> I know we've already banged on, but, you know, keeping it tight yeah. and, you know, doing some movie reviews and stuff like All that. All the time. And, and I, I have to say, we, you know, we're about to talk about Waves uh, and um, I'll give you a little brief rundown of what it, the movie was mm. about. But before we get into that, I have to say... What an absolute thrill to sit next to you in a cinema. I know. Watching a movie. It was. It was so good. It was really good. It was like that because, you know, we were, we, you and I text very regularly, I would say. And yeah. um, you you texted me like going, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to the movies tomorrow. I'm like, hey, I'll see you there. I'm going too. And <laughs> I, I, I feel very safe going because I'm like, this is the first day that cinemas are open. This is the first critic screening. So I'm like, there'll be very few people at this screening. And so I felt yeah. very safe in going. And I do think it is at the moment, if you're going to the right places and if you're taking the precautions in Sydney, it can be safe, even though I am, you know, yeah. wary of a second wave happening here as it is currently to our friends in Victoria. Um, but I felt very safe in going and I was excited to see this movie. I was so excited to see it with you. And I felt a pang in my emotions 
as that Universal logo was coming up, as that uh, Universal yes. da da as that was coming on, I felt that fanfare. And, you know, yeah. I don't think... Like, I love movies. I adore them. Obviously, I've dedicated my freaking life to watching and making movies and discussing cinema. I've dedicated my freaking life to it. You can't deny that. But I don't have that. I don't know. I didn't expect that I would have that pang. I never thought that I would have that feeling. And I kind of like, that's something that I would maybe even poo-poo. And now that I felt it, I will never poo-poo it again. I felt it in the cinema, that 7.1 surround sound, Dolby digital Atmos happening around me in a way that I can't exactly recreate at home as much as I try. I, um, I, did, have a, I did have an emotional movement there in that moment. Mate, I felt like a Catholic at the Vatican. I was so overwhelmed. I nearly got to my knees and started genuflecting. I was so happy. This is how much I was enjoying being at the cinema. Mm. And this is not giving anything away for uh, what we're going to talk about with the movie. But halfway through the film, at a really critical moment, Mm. a couple wandered into the wrong cinema, sat right at the front. They took ages to work out they were in the wrong movie. Yeah, where a movie's already playing, the lights are out. Oh, and like quite clearly, there's some intense shit going on on the screen. And and she left and he sat there and then eventually, like quite a bit of time passed and he had to do the sad sneak out holding two different ice creams in plastic bags and drinks. And normally that would drive me insane. And I remember both of us enjoying even that aspect I loved of it. it. I was maybe the highlight of the movie for me. Because <laughs> I just, I love that stuff. I love silly people in the cinema. That's why I love going to them. I, I you know, especially yeah. when, like, you see a movie where, um, I remember I saw a movie where it was, what was it, uh, The Edge of Seventeen. I love teen movies. And I was sitting behind a row of teenage girls, with my partner and they were all very chatty and my partner was getting annoyed. And I was like, Hey, this movie's not us. It's their movie. Let them enjoy it the way that they are. And I was like, I always think of that as like a nice cinema experience is like seeing other people enjoy a movie. And in this case, seeing other people absolutely fuck up and go to the wrong cinema and have to walk in shame in front of, you know, the five or 10 critics that have gone to this one film. (laughs) Oh man. So good. And also, at a really critical juncture. Very critical of the juncture. Movie. Very critical juncture. And, it, and there was a part of me that was relieved because it made, I started breathing again. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks, guys. Uh, well, the, the movie we saw uh, is called Waves, mm-hmm. and it's essentially about an African American family who live a, a pretty well off suburban lifestyle in South Florida. And one day the family is confronted with uh, a a terrible event and a shocking loss and we see how these people navigate their world after it falls apart. And I've deliberately written that as vague as possible because I kind of didn't know a lot going into this film and I thought that was part of the strength. Do you agree with that? I would agree to that. I'm in the same boat as you. I blank slated this one, TM, uh, that I I didn't know too much about it at all. I only knew that it was directed by the filmmaker Trey Edward Schultz, who I had... uh, Actually, the day before I had seen all the movies that he'd made, I'd watched uh, in the cinema, I saw... It comes at night, and I saw that as well, which is a, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's a story about a 
highly contagious disease mm. ravaging the world and people living in fear in the aftermath of a pandemic. Yes. And it's not a documentary. Not a documentary. It's a prequel. <laughs> it's a premonition, if you will, uh, to the world oh, we live in now. I actually quite like that. It's like an atypical yes. kind of uh, post-apocalyptic horror thriller type film. I, I liked yeah. it quite a bit, but um, I caught up with his debut narrative feature film, Creature, uh, yes. that our dearest friend yes. Ben Elwood had lent, uh, lent me the day, like the week of, uh, just right. by chance. I watched it the day before, just by chance, not even considering that Waves was a film by him. And I adored Creature. It's, um, right. it's like... I think what this filmmaker does is he's able to bring some kind of like horror and tension techniques to things that otherwise wouldn't use those techniques typically. And Creature yeah. um, is like a it's a it's a story of uh, of uh, an older woman who is kind of estranged from her family coming back to her family home for Thanksgiving. And she's like, has like alcoholic addictions and stuff like that. And, um, she also had one of the members of the family was her son that she left in the care of her sister and brother-in-law since she was a, since he was a child to look after. And so she's kind of coming back into their lives. And, uh, the person, the star of that film was Krisha Fairchild, who has a small cameo in this film, who actually is Trey Edward Schultz's aunt. And he plays her son in that film. Film. And the setting of that movie, to tie it into the film we're talking about, is the same house, Waves, that Waves is set in. Oh, and so it's really? like his family home, and most of the people in that movie, Krisha, are members of his family. Right. Interesting. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting writer, director. Like, he's still only like 31. I know, he's like he? just older than me, and it freaks me out and pisses me off. Oh, mate, it is one of the, you know... It was like I was watching a, an interview with Christopher Nolan for my <laughs> like He's nearly thirty. Yeah. And you go, yeah, but yeah, but you know what? Like I was running comedy venues in Adelaide, yeah, so who's exactly. here? Uh, I ran one oh, of right, the hottest. I ran one of the hottest comedy rooms in Sydney for quite some time, dude. So I'm okay. <laughs> Everyone, back off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I found this movie to be, uh, an interesting experience. Mm. Um, uh, it was fun when we got out. I, I feel like my initial experience of it was that I enjoyed it more than you. Yes. And it sat with me for a, like it sat with me all this time. Mm. Uh, I kind of see a little bit more of the flaws with the time that's passed, but also the strengths of it have been magnified as well. And uh, if so, that could makes you, sense. So the things that you, I think are really good. Could you pick that up again from it had sat with you? Uh, you just glitched out for me. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't hear any of your critique. I only heard you say it sat <laughs> with you and then it started glitching. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, no, <laughs> the, uh, so essentially, you know, when we first saw it, like uh, I really loved it. But mm. as time has gone on, the, the flaws have become more apparent to me. But mm. the strengths of it are even greater as well. So mm. the flaws aren't terrible flaws. Uh, I think in hindsight, I think something that you said on the night, which I in hindsight agree with, is maybe the second half of the movie is about 15 minutes too long. 
I, I don't know. I think I said the opposite. I felt like that the right. first part of the film was too too long and too intense. Right. It's I, I, how how far should we kind of talk in detail about this film? Because I don't want people to miss out on having that blank slated experience. But I would say that this film, what I appreciated about it is that, uh, like Kreisha, it has like this kind of like this energy that feels of like uh, it's fueled by like this cacophony of. Uh, sound and vision kind of combining yeah. in like this overbearing way to kind of create tension and to create this feeling of dread throughout. Um, yeah. And I think it's used to like an astonishing effect in this film, but I think that it's overbearing nature tends to outstay its welcome in that first part, which is like a much more dour, depressing uh, or not even depressing. It's just grim and overbearing, I would say, that first part, as we're seeing someone having a complete decline. This young man, this character, who is like a promising student athlete at a high school uh, in wrestling who suffers this injury um, that could like debilitate him. And he continues to wrestle because he feels pressured by his father to do so, even though his pr- father is not like overtly pressuring him. So I think the family dynamic in this movie is really beautifully handled and through like this technique of like kind of like hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Pulsing music and, like, vision and lights all kind of coming together to create, like, this really this intense energy. I think that this film was really good at bringing that together. But for me, the downfall was... I don't know how interested I was in this story of this young African-American man having this long sustained decline uh, in this really overbearing way. And I found it very, when I'm saying overbearing, I'm not using that as a, as a negative critique. I think the overbearingness of the, uh, filmic techniques and cinematic techniques of this film are a huge benefit to this film in creating its like artistic expression. But I found that his, I found like that to be a very icky place to be sitting in. And, you know, you don't have to enjoy films. I definitely agree to that. Yeah. You don't have to enjoy a film, but it's about the experience of it. And I felt like the experience overstayed its welcome to my attention, if anything. Right. Well, I guess you, you start to realise where it's going, don't you? Mm. And uh, I, I guess maybe maybe the movie could have shaved off 15 minutes, you know, maybe 10 yeah. minutes in the first hour and maybe five minutes in the mm. in the second hour, you know. But I guess what the director was going for is I think maybe the length and time you spend with him to see this decline is that you do see 
that uh, the young boy played by uh, Kelvin Harrison, mm. he, he's a good kid. Yeah. So, so it kind of, I guess it kind of takes its time showing you his decline. So it's not one of those movies where you go, hang on a sec, why did that just happen? Yeah. Like you can see the, the beat slowly kicking in. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed was, um, you know, Sterling K. Brown, who was so good as the alpha male father. Yeah, it's a brilliant performance by him. Oh, and there's so much, um, there's so much not said. But you can you just look at him and you go, he's had a tough upbringing. Yeah, he's worked really hard to where he is. Mm. When he talks to his son about you don't get to be like we don't get to be average, he's talking about the greater problems with uh, the way African American people are treated mm. in America. He's also talking about the lifestyle they obviously have in that suburban part of South Florida. Yes, as well. And so the uh, the pressure that you see coming from him is like it's kind of scary I'm, I'm not really into those types of men mm. <laughs> to hang out with at all but i i feel like i understood him and i thought there was some nice shades of uh of growth to that character as the movie progressed which i think in a lesser movie mm. he would just be that guy for two hours wouldn't he yeah truly i think um i do appreciate what this film does though with its structure mm. as well where you realize that this structure is about uh the build-up to this breaking point in this family this tragedy and then the aftermath of that as well and i didn't expect mm. that to happen at all where there's a shift uh in protagonist uh in this film so i don't want to give away about like what this tragic moment is but there's a shift in uh a shift in character to protagonist to the younger sister played by taylor russell who i'd only so ever good. seen in a really fun horror movie that she was in last year called escape room which i think right. if you like a good kind of rompy like schlocky fun horror movie you can't really go wrong with escape room i think she's right. like a brilliant young star and i thought she was stunning in this film her performance is like full of so much empathy and like you know the empathy and this like sadness to it but with this kind of hope throughout it yes. as well and i just really really enjoyed that performance to the point where i'm like i wish this was almost the entire movie where it's her yes. developing this new relationship with lucas hedges another young fabulous actor and uh that relationship being kind of strengthened by both of their positions in their life and their upbringings leading them to this point of empathy and i i, I really really like that second half of the film where it's about kindness uh, rather than destruction, right? So, do you, do you feel uh, if you were your perfect version of this movie might be a ninety-minute movie mm. about this girl with flashes flashbacks to what happened to her brother? No, because I do like I think I'm very conflicted on this movie. Like I, I you know, yeah. I'm I, I haven't been this mixed on something in quite some time where I'm like. I appreciate like everything this movie is doing structurally. I find it incredibly yeah. bold, but I think that the mixture just wasn't to what I wanted and or what I desired in the end of it all. I don't think I've been this mixed on freaking anything in ages where I'm like, yeah. I appreciate the artistry behind this film. I appreciate all the performances. I actually think I do like this film on the whole, but I found it to be, I don't know. It's, it's hard to even to even say, because I think that, 
I, the structure and that shift in structure to be kind of like this uh, really unconventional structure of a film and like this using this kind of complex narrative structure i found really fascinating and challenging in a way that i found satisfying by the end and while i felt that first part was overbearing it needed to get to that point for the second half to work to the degree it did so you know it's a hard movie to just talk about but it's an interesting one to talk about as well so i'm i'm not one to go looking for reviews like i like to Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mind uh, looking up criticisms and stuff like that, but, you know, uh, reviews overall, like, I, I don't really care. I'm just happy to kind of work it out. Yep. But I've been so confused with this as well and the, the topsy-turvy nature of it. I, I scanned uh, half a dozen reviews uh, this morning, mm. and it's so funny. There's very little in the way of agreeance on what people think of the film. Yeah. Like, I read uh, the Guardian review, which talked about how the first half was so brilliantly intense, and the second half was nice, but kind of limp. Yeah. And then I've seen other people say, oh, this is a really obvious story, mm. you know, and it's, uh, it's not really telling us anything new. But then you've got other people saying, this is the best movie of the year. Yes. And it's a tour de force. And, and normally, like, I know rev- you can get all sorts of reviews for all sorts of movies, but usually there's some points that even within a good or a bad review, people will agree on. Yeah. <laughs> no one seems to really have a have a, uh, a similarity in their taste. Yeah, it's truly, it truly is a divisive movie, and I think it is because it is quite bold. It is quite bold yeah. in what it's doing. Um, but... But also, it stayed with you for this entire week. It has yeah. left almost no impact on me. Like, I've not really thought about it much since, apart from the things that impressed me and the things that kind of, like, negated me. But I have not really... This film has not sat with me at all. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think the sound and fury, you know, especially... I think I said to you afterwards, my synesthesia was mm. going through the roof with the music that was used, the way it was used, yeah. and the colours that were exploding from the screen. It, in some ways, it, it, at, at times, it feels almost like... And can I like get you to say so who... Dialogue. Yeah. And can I get you to say who the composers of this film are? So it is... Uh, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, like, proper songs used. Yeah. But um, it's Reznor and Ross doing the soundtrack. And I think it's a kind of different yeah. sound to what they normally do. This I wouldn't have known it was them if I if if I didn't see their name in the credits. Oh, yeah, I'm the same. And uh, I read a little thing where Trent Reznor sent Schultz an email saying he was a big fan and that's how they ended up working on the soundtrack. That's the so movie. cool. Yeah. And I thought, thought you might find this interesting as well. Schultz also shot the film with certain songs in mind and actually sent a rough cut of the film to the artist to get them on board. And there were some knockbacks, but for the most part, he secured the awesome. majority of the songs that he needed. And, yeah. I, and I think you can you can tell that in hindsight that that was obvious in uh, in mind with the way it's uh, mm. produced and brought together. And I think that the way that this film plays with like the diegetic and non-diegetic music and the way that it blends the two together, it adds yeah. to that kind of cacophony feeling of it all. And I think that... I, I think Trey Edward Schultz is definitely a filmmaker to watch. And um, yeah. 
Creature is the one of his films so far that I will more likely watch again, and it may yep. even become part of my collection here at the archive at Blu-ray Studios. Um, but uh, <laughs> I do, I really, really like that film, and it comes at night. I liked as well, and I would say on to summarize it all, I did like Waves. I think I'm going to come yes. down on the positive on Waves. But I, yes. I think if this, if, if if you hear us talking about it, and it kind of you you're curious about it i think it's more than well worth a look in absolutely yeah and if you can get it at this if you can get to a cinema i think that's part of the Mm. like i feel like it's a proper cinematic experience you can enjoy it and feel what you feel at home but there were times that it felt like your ribs were about Mm. to be crushed inwards um before you go Uh i'm going to i've got i'm going to start this segment with you and i've just thought of it now yeah and it's just going to be our segment okay but would this movie have been better with john cazal um every movie would be better with john cazal i don't know what role <laughs> oh, he would be playing ter- in this but it's, come it's on a terrible segment yeah exactly <laughs> it's always gonna- <laughs> it would be incredible in this movie uh, there's a character that tragically is dying with cancer in this movie and tragically uh, John Cazale did do the same thing but he would have killed that role he would have been amazing <laughs> as the <laughs> as the dying father in this movie um and I, I have to say Lucas Hedges is yes really knocking off a hell of a resume isn't he my like, lord I, Lady Bird this Ben is yeah. back I think he's a tremendous young actor Manchester by the Sea Manch- oh you know, my god is- my god Manchester by the Sea I love that movie he is, um, you know, when he turns up in the film, mm. it's it, that is the point yeah. where you start to go, oh, I, you know, whew, okay, I'm feeling a bit better. Yeah. I'm not feeling as hot and sweaty. And he's, uh, he's really charismatic and he is adorable. And the t- his scenes with Taylor Russell are... They're great. I think that's beautiful. It's a really, it made me very nostalgic for my first like high school girlfriend relationship yes. it was like i i i think that it's a really really good intimate and honest portrayal of like that first time finding and falling in love um yeah without like the tropes of it being a romantic comedy in any way it is sweet but it's very intense and yeah. um i i think that's what I, I think that's why i like that part of the movie so much more because it felt very true and authentic this experience yeah. that they were creating together that um, I wanted to like, I wanted that movie so bad. And like I said, yeah. I talked about how I love teen movies already. I was like, yeah. this, that's a good, it's a, this is an interesting teen movie. One that I hadn't seen the likes of before or for quite some time. Yeah, it, it, it avoided tropes. It had really natural dialogue. Mm. You know, the, the thing that would be uh, a turning point in a movie, you know, in this was sort of like, hey, did you know about this thing that occurred to me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty shit. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And then they just move on and you go, oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm seeing all these different uh, flavours of the relationship and you can you can understand how they fall in love, I think. Yeah, it's, pre- it's, it's, it was- it's pretty good. I would disagree with Hammer. I say don't risk going to the cinema unless you really want to see this oh. one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, depending on when you're listening to this and how long it's been at the cinema. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, for me, it was, uh, you know, maybe it was because it was my first 
cinema experience. Like I'm, I'm all for getting COVID for Tenet. That's what I'm. Aiming oh boy! For. So I, I can wait know. five or six years to see Tenet. The way things are going, I'll wait. <laughs> no, no. Uh, this is if I, I want you all to be laughing at my funeral. Going <laughs> well, of course, this is the way he was going to go down. <laughs> he caught it. He caught it at Tenet. Yep, tenth viewing. Um, <laughs> Before you go, Alexi, uh, what do you have coming up? You've got a big project that you're working on. Uh, oh, the yes. Regular podcast. We've got a big project that we're working on. If you're fans of Finding Drago, I would just say wait a few months and you shall enjoy something very special coming towards you. Uh, but also, we've got a regular <laughs> podcast, Cameron James and I. Uh, we uh, do Total Reboot, where we talk about movies just like this, uh, where we're two funny fellows talking about cinema and we talk about reboots, remakes, and ripoffs. And we're currently celebrating 100 episodes of that podcast by doing a mega series on the reboots, remakes and rip-offs of Nicolas Cage. And it has been Amazing. a tremendous amount of fun doing that. And uh, we just had our dear friend that we mentioned, Ben Elwood, on our Bad Lieutenant episode, yeah. uh, which I think is a very grubby movie, one of the most provocative films that we'll ever discuss ever, I'm sure. But it was so much fun yeah. talking to Ben about that movie and the provocative humour of that film as well, I would say. Right. Yeah, that is a movie if you have not experienced... I would say don't. don't sit down. Yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I would say you don't have to experience it. <laughs> just listen to the podcast. I, I, just be across it. I would say you went to like great legs to do like disclaimers going like, hey, this actually is the most grubby, provocative film we'll ever talk about. I'm like, I went to like, I recorded a separate opening going like, you know, this is one that would maybe say listen to the podcast before watching or do some research. It may, if you're a sensitive viewer, it may not be for you. I tell you, you never have received so much feedback of people going like, I actually watched the movie this week and it's fucked up. And I'm like, I told you, I told oh, you. The disclaimer had a disclaimer. Exactly. Come on. I told you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Alexi. And uh, let's catch up. Uh, we'll have a... I think we're seeing a movie tomorrow night. So yeah, maybe. maybe. Can, uh, come back and review that. I may be too chicken shit. So I might, I might, not, be, I might not see you tomorrow. Mate, I'll be there with the mask and the disinfectant <laughs> ready to go. All right. Chat to you soon. Bye, hello. <laughs> And I'm still thinking about that movie. Uh, I definitely liked it. I definitely really got into it. And I think it was incredibly powerful and has uh, definitely left an effect on me. So it, it's funny, the, the, the ups and downs of trying to get your head around it. Uh, and I, I, I do agree with a lot of Alexi's points as well. But uh, yeah, there's just... There was just something that really resonated with me and uh, I can't wait to see what that director does next. Our second guest for this episode is my wonderful friend, comedian, writer, all-round talent, Cal Wilson. Uh, another little preamble again before we get into this. Cal and I talked for so long in the original recording that we didn't even get around to starting her new segment idea. So what we did was we finished off that chat and I was going to play that this week. And then next week was going to jump into the segment idea. But as luck would have it, there was just a little audio issue that we couldn't fix in that first one. So so we're going straight into the second uh, segment that we started, uh, that we recorded. And if you think, oh, this is weird, they're referring to last week and isn't this the first episode of the first season, don't worry, you haven't gone crazy 
that bit just couldn't be used. Did you need to know that? Like, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe we could have just gone into it. I don't know. I feel like you're on to things. You know what's going on. I want to keep you up to date with everything that's happening. Look, there's going to be a few bugs being sorted out as I'm learning new skills on how to record from a distance. Don't forget, I'm 47. I start, I'm meant to have stopped learning skills like 10 years ago. <laughs> but we'll get there. We will definitely get there. Okay, let's uh, jump into this uh, chat with the wonderful Cal Wilson. So uh, welcoming Cal Wilson back, who was uh, last week we were going to launch this new segment and then we went on so many tangents we never got to the segment. I think which, I started uh, on a tangent. I think I didn't even let you start your podcast before I was talking about green armpits. <laughs> I, was, I was very comfortable with the whole thing. Uh, last week we talked, uh, before we even get into the segment, starting with a tangent already, we had uh, discuss, discussed how you'd watched all the Marvel movies with your son and I was trying to think of what you guys could do next. And I, I, I wonder if he wants to stay in the superhero genre, starting off with Arrow and Ooh. working his way through to The Flash. And then there's all these TV shows that... Oh, yes. What about what Agent Carter? Is that suitable for an 11-year-old? Uh... I don't. I'm sure that would be fine. But the, the, what I'm suggesting is all the DC characters, and uh, so then you'll get, then he'll be able to watch Supergirl, you know, and they all at some point have a massive crossover Great. called Crisis oh, on Infinite we haven't, Earths. We haven't talked about uh, last week. We've got to talk about how much I loved Captain Marvel. Oh, oh yeah, Brie Larson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reckon she's cool too. It's uh, like the, that moment where she meets Spider Man and he says, you know, hi, I'm. Peter Parker and the way she looks at him and so hey Peter Parker you go oh my god he is going to be in love with her for the rest yeah, of his life yeah and, yeah and um I loved the moment where Thor grabbed his hammer so that it just about yeah. you know brushed her ear kind of thing and she didn't react to it but then she smiles at him but it's a really it's yeah. she's so knowing um and yes. sure of herself and I love I love her yes she, she's got real swagger I think yeah, the the third phase you know, you can kind of criticise Marvel for taking a while to get to uh, some stronger female characters, but that third phase, like Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie as well, real swagger, the way she walks, the way she carries herself. I think Brie Larson's got it. I thought, uh, did you ever watch The United States of Tara? Yes, she's a phenomenal yeah. actor. Yeah, I've, I've loved her since then as well. So uh, I, I think she, this has been a perfect fit for her. Yeah, I think she's great. Anyway, that was last week. Uh, that yes. we were supposed to be talking about here. So the DC. So where's Wolverine in all of that? Wolverine is uh, so that's a Marvel character, but Marvel back in the day when they were going under uh, in the nineties, uh, they sold the rights to a lot of their characters, their most popular characters. So they sold the rights to Spider Man, Fantastic Four, X Men. X Men would have gotten them a lot of money. Uh, the Hulk, and essentially when Marvel was starting off their movie production side, ironically, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor were the characters they couldn't sell. And they're the like the second and third tiered characters who are now top tier. Yeah. Um so did they have to buy Hulk back to get him back in the So there's this weird leasing agreement as there is with Spider Man in Sony 
So they they have this weird agreement where they can use Spider-Man. And uh, Disney just bought Fox. So they're getting all of the X-Men characters back. But I think after the way that franchise ended, like the last Logan, the, the movie Logan is brilliant. Best Wolverine film, probably the best X-Men movie. But those movies are so hit and miss and such a mess. I reckon they'll leave them for a while and let the dust settle and then bring in new versions of the characters. The dust will never settle on Hugh Jackman. What are you talking about? Oh, no, especially in Logan too. He's so good. Like it's it's a real shame they didn't buy X-Men when he was still up for playing Wolverine because I would love to have seen him alongside Robert Downey Jr. and yeah, Chris yeah. Evans and all of those guys. Um, yeah, because we watched Wolverine around the same time we first watched Iron Man and stuff when Diggy yep. was a baby. But I can't remember how violent they were, whether they were too much no that logan would be too violent but the others once again it's kind of pg you know like for a guy who has claws there's very little blood going on it's a lot of a lot of yelling and a lot of blah and a lot of you know intense smoldering (laughs) intense smoldering uh so we were going to do this uh, semi-regular segment would you like to explain it all right so uh it's my proudest shame in which you are going to tell me and hopefully other people eventually as well not necessarily on your podcast um your uh the thing that you are proudest of and the thing that causes you the most shame so it can be big or small so the shame by shame i mean it can be um like one of mine is uh i was trying to cheer up another child at primary school and I went, look over there, that little boy's wearing tights because it was a boy wearing tights under his shorts. And another child told me off and went, how mean of you to make fun of that little boy's appearance Um, because he's obviously he needs tights because he's cold and just terrible that you did that. And I felt so mortified. I can still remember going, oh, yes, that is a terrible thing. Oh, my goodness, but I've been called out on it as well. Like, (laughs) in my mind, I was like, but I'm trying to make this other child stop crying. But then I said a mean thing about someone else who didn't deserve to have a mean thing said about them. And another child steps in and is like the moral arbiter. And I wonder yeah. what has happened to her. I hope she's, um, I hope she's still calling stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the thing that you are proudest of or one of the things that you're proudest of? Well, I thought in honour of Digby, your son, being a basketball fan, I thought I would make these both basketball related. So when I was 11 years old, I played uh, church basketball for Croydon Kilkenny United. Never went to church, played for their basketball team. And uh, we had a really good team, probably the second best team in the competition. And we were playing, we managed to get all the way through to the final and had to play the team uh, Taparu, who were big and scary, like they were you know, you know, you you would be seeing it with Digby now. There's the kids who are getting older, and then there's the kids that are young men. Yes, and it's happened overnight. Yes, yeah, there, yeah, there's there is a, like an adult giant in a team where everyone else is two foot tall, and suddenly there's a, yeah, there's someone that I could, um, I could plausibly marry. Like, yes, just yeah, a huge mountain. Yeah. <laughs> They drove there. They're only eleven. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one's no one's even uh, uh, blinking at them. So we had to play this uh, gigantic, scary team in the final, and we'd lost to them twice during the season. And it, I'd never played in a final before. And I, it, it's so funny when you look back on it. You go, it was church basketball. Like it was not the biggest deal in the world. But back then, yeah. at eleven, well, this was. 
at the moment it sounds like the plot to a feel-good movie like the Mighty Ducks or something. So you've got tiny church team going up against human velociraptors. Like so, it's the yes. it's the great a great setup. <laughs> It's Adelaide's version of Space Jam. That's what's happening right there. So uh, our best player was a young fellow called uh, Robbie Hocking, and I was probably second or third best player. And uh, we went out and had a really tight first half. But because the first half was so tight, weirdly, our coach gave us this real inner sense of belief, you know, because it was like, well... Both times they played us, they've really kind of thrown us around and like we're only down by like three. So that means you've taken their best shot. Why don't you go out there and really take them apart? So we came out at the start of the second half and we led by quite a bit and then they started to make the, the comeback. And our coach called a timeout. And in the timeout, he asked us about a TV show. Uh, if any of us were up to date and it was a really like we were all like what sorry hang on and I think it was like chips or something like that and he asked us about chips and then he talked about how his favorite character was Eric Estrada and then he turned around and he said why don't uh, we just do this in defense and because it was so off the cuff he really relaxed us took all the tension out Amazing. and then we went on and like it's one of those things that I look back on it was like he fucking Jedi mind tricked yeah, us yeah totally had you all thinking about Poncherello and all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> and Larry Wilcox, you know. And uh, and then we went out for the last five minutes and we managed to hold on and win this game. And it, was, it felt like such a, you know, a proud moment of overcoming that yeah, immovable yeah. object. And, you know, we felt really good about ourselves. And that was our first year of uh, under 14. So then, you know, then the next year you're the older. Yeah, the top age kids, yeah. So this brings me to the flip where the next season we were undefeated and we were so good and we won every game by about 20 points. And then when we got into the final, because I remember the year before, nerves ruined me, like ruined me. By this stage, I'm the second, like I'm the second best player to Robbie Hocking. Nerves ruined me. I got like three fouls in like seven minutes in the first half, had to sit all of the rest of the first half, came out in the second half, all up, I would have played in a 40-minute game. I would have played nine minutes. Wow. And then anyway, our undefeated season ended in a defeat in the grand final. And it's so weird. The grand final, I had to really remember that we won. I had to really remember it. But the one against St. Leonard's where we got beaten is so vivid. And that's fucking 35 years yeah, ago. Yeah. So in the immediate aftermath of the game, like what was the debrief from the coach? Uh, our coach was trying to find a positive spin, you know, good guy, you know, do, saying all the right things. But, you know, I remember, and this is the shame part, I remember, you know, my teammate Robbie was a really cool kid, like really nice kid. But you could see the look in his eyes, which was, you fucked up, you let oh. us down. And nothing was said, but no one's really hanging with you no one's ignoring you but no one's with you so it's like uh backstage in the green room after you've just stunk (laughs) up the stage like after you've had a terrible Uh, gig yeah like you know what i'm not going to move from my seat but i'm just going to keep reading my notes yeah (laughs) (laughs) when you sit next to me i'll just be like i'm still here (laughs) but what am i going to say and so that's what it was like for and and it was and the because it was the last 
game of the season. Everyone went to McDonald's afterwards. Oh. And there were the older kids oh. who were also in the grand final who won. Oh. And so, you know, you've got all these different teams all hanging out. And it's just it's just a stench that hangs on you. Yeah. For the rest of the night, and it, and it, it is a you go to bed feeling that sense of yeah. well, that's that's all my fault, and, and there's you, nothing I can do about it. Did you run over and over in your mind like the moments that things could have changed? Like, if only I hadn't done that, or if only I hadn't failed that guy. Yeah, like I was too. It was like I was too fired up. I was too yeah. on the edge of my toes rather than sitting back and being a little bit more relaxed yeah. about it. And it's such a dumb thing in the grand scheme of everything that's going on in the world. But as soon as you told me the idea for the segment, I was thinking, oh, what can I talk about? And I thought, oh, Digby plays basketball. I, well, I wonder if I have something. <laughs> <laughs> and it came back really hard, really oh, that's hard. amazing. And was it the same yeah. coach as the year before? Yeah. So he, yeah. Didn't, he didn't pull out a Chips reference? Like there was no... There was... I Because we were just... Because then once I wasn't, like, once I was quite clearly a mess, there's a little bit of a knock-on effect. Yeah. Of then, you know, like, then the next player was a bit, oh, well, Justin's not coping. Maybe I'm not coping. And then, yeah. oh, hang on, now we've got this kid in this position who never needs to be in this position. He normally does these other things. And now he's out of his comfort zone. And there's Robbie trying to hold it all together uh-huh. by himself. Yeah, have, poor have, Robbie Hocking. Have you ever discussed that with any of the participants later? Or like, did you stay in that team for a while or was that the end of that team? No, there was a, there was a like slightly different iterations of the team. But, you know, it was just one of those things where you just kind of learn from it. You know, yeah. it is actually – it. even though I feel the, 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 the sad shame of a 12-year-old now about it, it also – is one of those really important lessons and yeah. actually balanced out the year before perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. in that you've got to learn how to win with grace and lose with grace. Yes. Have you ever talked to Josh Earl about it? He's got a great story about playing basketball and being undefeated for two years. And so when they lost right. a game, none of them could handle it. So like, because yeah. it just never occurred to them that they could lose. And so they were truly devastated when it yeah. happened. Yeah. It's like, how, like, what? I'm pretty certain I read the script and it finishes with us going, yay. yay. Yeah. It's so interesting for me because I, I have only ever had negative experiences with sport as a kid. So I I find, I found it really hard the first few months that I would go into the stadium with Digby to watch him play. And it's like, you know, I don't know, three years ago or something like that. I felt so uncomfortable in the basketball stadium. Like you can put me in any theatre or any pub and I am absolutely fine. I, I'm totally comfortable backstage. Like, I'm totally happy with everything that goes behind the scenes. Yeah, we need you to perform to 2,000 people at the Sydney Opera yeah. House. No worries. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. But going into a basketball stadium, like, oh, were you allowed to stand? Oh, are we allowed to walk over this bit? You know, like, I find it so, like, what do the lines mean? And then the other thing that still annoys me is that the moment there's a timeout, um, everyone else floods onto the court and just starts shooting baskets. It'd be like, you know, interval, if audience members just got up and started having a go, it's like, no, it's not your space. It's still the space of the people who are playing this game. And then how instantly, as soon as the game is over, you don't own any of those benches anymore. Get off the benches. Like, you know, the way parents just swoop in and then suddenly we're all doing runs up and down the court. Like, it's just, it's so chaotic. 
I'm much better with it now, but it's still like oh, alien atmosphere. What is happening? Oh yeah, yeah. Everything you've just mentioned to me makes so much sense, but I can imagine experiencing for the first time yeah. would be like there is too much movement. Yeah, and so noisy, just so noisy. So uh, noisy. The sound of a million children bouncing basketballs is quite annoying. Like oh yeah. And then also the the kids that bounce next to you on the like wooden seats, like yeah, I don't want to vibrate. Can no. you? Can you stop that? Have you been hit with the with the errant basketball yet? Uh, once, I think. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to jump on every moment of shame <laughs> I've ever had, but there was a girl that I had a crush on in uh, when I was like fifteen or something like that, and you know you'd always try to be nice to the parents and someone threw a ball to me and you know you put your foot out to stop it and it, I just it just hit my foot at a weird angle and then ricocheted off into uh, her mother's face and then she turned up to <laughs> turned up to tra- that was on the Friday night and on the Sunday when she turned up to training she had a neck brace anyway we never got married uh, the, that was that was done for me having the crush on the daughter because the mother quite clearly just really treated me as if I'd done it deliberately and just Amazing. You know. I, w- I wanted to make an impression, but not that much of an impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there she is with Spalding written yeah. across her cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's yeah, the, the basketball uh, stadium is, it's full on and it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, it's, like I'm still learning all of the rules and yeah. things, but it's once, once, now that I can read it a bit, like I get so much out of it, but there's still a lot of, why, um, what does that mean when he does that hand signal? Like there's yeah. still questions, but then sometimes I can tell what they're doing and that's exciting. One day you'll just say something to someone and you'll be like, oh, how I, d- I didn't even know I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll be calling out offences and you'll be like, well, uh, this has sunk in. Yes. <laughs> so that's but, exciting. Um, I have declared to everyone that I will never score. I'll never yeah. be the parent yes. that has to score. That is a very smart move. A very smart move. My mum was, you know, if if she had to. Yeah, no, I'm just, I get, I panic. I panic, anything to do with sport and I panic. But fortunately, because Chris has been Digby's coach for yeah. the last three years, our family has done enough. Like, yeah, we yeah, are, exactly. We have contributed enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. That, that'll do. So, uh, thank you for that, Cal. And uh, we'll, we'll throw another one out there. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll think of some more. Yeah, great. For you, as I said, it's going to be harder to find the. Well, I'm going to Google you, which I never do because we know each other so well. I'm going to Google yeah. you, and I'm going to tell you some of your successes next time we speak. <laughs> okay, well, or, I'd be wrapped to hear. Um, yes, or perhaps maybe, maybe I'll go to some other people and find out what people think of Justin Hamilton. I already know, but uh, maybe I'll go. I'll do a survey. <laughs> yeah, I will do a survey. Oh, yeah, that'd be <laughs> that'd be interesting. I have no idea what's going on with me. Everybody uh, loves you. Well, oh, you spoiler know, alert. maybe you never know. You might go and ask, and this might be. Wow, I, like I'll be like, I'm so sorry, Jazzy. I have to tell you that Claire Hooper hates you. Oh my god, imagine, I'd be devastated. Imagine, it'd be awful. Oh, hoops! That would that would be devastating. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard Hoops say that she doesn't like anybody. And I'd hate to be the first. Oh, imagine <laughs> what, what would you have to do? Oh, anyway, what a lovely be, chat we've be. had. Yeah, <laughs> let's speak again soon. Yes, Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode of Big Squid. Thank you very much to Alexi Toliopoulos and Cal Wilson. Uh, next week, uh, 
as I've already said, Siobhan Coombs will be returning to talk about the state of comics and about some titles that people might be interested in checking out. Also, Ben Elwood and I will cover the Christopher Nolan short Doodlebug and his first movie, Following. Uh, I'll probably give you another review as well, and maybe even a new segment. We'll see. We'll see how we're going. Uh, This podcast is going to be like radio, but good. (laughs) That sounds like a a catchy way to sell it, doesn't it? Uh, Don't forget to check out my latest blog so you can grab the link for 60 Days of Free Documentaries with the good people at DocPlay. And uh, also come and say hi at our Facebook group, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton. Uh, I I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy the new format. Uh, and, uh, And if you have time, a positive review on whichever streaming platform that you use is appreciated. And or, or just even saying to some like-minded people, if they want to come and uh, start hanging out, this is going to be uh, at least one a week for the rest of the year. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, finally, if you've watched My Brilliant Friend or read the books, seen the movie Waves, or have a fun moment of pride and shame, share your thoughts with us and I'll drop them into the appropriate episode. So this was fun. Uh I've got to be honest, I quite like this new format. Uh, I I think I'll uh, really lean into it. So, uh, as I said, we'll work out a few of the bugs as I get a little bit more skilled with some stuff. But there is still so much more to come. Uh, In the meantime, please stay safe. Keep engaging with art so you can feed your soul and your intellect. And why not leave this episode with a quote from David Bowie. Religion is for people who fear hell spirituality is for people who have been there. I wonder where you end up on that. Okay, until then. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.